Psalm 135 and 136 this morning, I've entitled this message, The Way Indirect. And I'll explain kind of why that is for just a minute. But I want to, I want to begin by way of introduction to talk a little bit about The Empire Strikes Back. Because The Empire Strikes Back is not only the best of the Star Wars movies, and I'll debate you afterwards if you think differently, but it's also, in my opinion, one of the best movies in general. I, I love The Empire Strikes Back, and I went to go see it as an elementary school student into theaters, and my dad had to carry me out because I was crying because they had frozen Han Solo. I was beside myself. So Han Solo is one of my all-time favorites, but one of my all-time favorite characters of all is Yoda. And I, one of the things I love about Yoda is he doesn't say things directly. He says things indirectly. It's one of my favorite lines of Yoda, and I won't do the Yoda voice even though I'm tempted to. He says, when 900 years old you reach, look as good you will not. <laughs> and, and so he speaks indirectly. And so as I was thinking about this, as I was thinking about this message and, and kind of what the Lord wanted to share through this, you know, I was thinking about how all of us, we have areas in our life that we want changed. We have relationships that we want changed. Maybe we have health issues that we want changed. We have job situations that we want changed. But oftentimes, because the culture that we live in and kind of how we do things, we just think, well, the direct approach is the best approach. I just need to go right at the problem, go right at it. But what I would argue is we look at the scriptures and how God works. You know, God often works kind of in a Yoda type of way. He doesn't work in a direct way. He works indirectly. And so the direct approach may be misguided. Maybe the problem that we have is actually not the problem. Maybe the problem we have is actually a symptom of something different. Maybe there's something deeper there. For instance, if you find yourself having to change your brakes in your car constantly, it may not be faulty brakes. It may be your driving style. <laughs> it may be that you're treating your car in an abusive way. And what needs to be changed is not the brakes necessarily. What needs to be changed is how you drive your car. And I think that's how it is between us and the Lord. We go to the Lord and say, change this thing, change that thing, change this person. But the real problem is, is deeper down. The real problem is behind the scenes. And so there's two words that I want to focus on in these two Psalms. In Psalm 135, I want to focus on the word praise. And then in Psalm 136, I want to focus on the word thanks. Because I believe this way indirect that I'm going to communicate today or seek to communicate today is that instead of asking God to change these different things, to fix these different problems, maybe the way for us to go is to really start praising the Lord. And then maybe the way for us to go is to really start thanking the Lord. And maybe as we do that, our hearts are changed, our lives are changed, our attitudes are changed, our demeanor is changed in such a way that now God can work, that now God can do those things. And so I think this is a really important thing for us to consider as we move through this. So Psalm 135, give you a little bit of background. And I apologize if I'm speaking so fast already. Um, the last two times I taught were in Portugal, and I had a translator. And so I had to speak, and then wait, and then speak, and then wait. And so I've just been looking forward to just speaking and not waiting. Uh, but I need to slow that down just a little bit. So Psalm 135, though, uh, what it's initially directed to, as we'll see quickly, it's directed toward the priests and Levites. It's directed to those who ministered in the tabernacle or those who ministered in the temple. But what I want you to do is not tune out. 
I don't want you to look and say, well, this is directed to priests and Levites. Let me go ahead and just listen once we get to Psalm 136. This is not for me. No, Psalm 135, though it's originally to the priests and Levites, what we have to understand about priests and Levites is that they're servants. And that you and I, as believers, are called to be servants. So if you want to be a servant of the Lord, there is much for you to learn from this psalm. There's much for you to take to heart. Because this psalm, Psalm 135, is for all who wish to serve the Lord. Now it's important for us to consider, if we're to benefit from Bible study, we must come as servants. If we are to benefit from Bible study, we must come as servants. Maybe you've done this. Many of you have had an issue. Maybe something's going on in your house, some kind of home maintenance issue. And you say, well, I'm going to look to how to figure this out on YouTube. The thing for me is I can never remember how to reset the, the change oil light. You know how it says you need to change the oil in your car and you get it changed and they don't change it at the place. And so I always have to look up on YouTube, what's the process to change that out? Now, I pay close attention while I'm watching that video because I expect to use that instruction. So it is for you. The only way you're going to get something out of a Bible study this morning is if you actually intend to apply it. You actually intend to take this instruction and do something with it. And so James tells us in James chapter 5, verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. It's very important for us as we come to the word of God that it's not an intellectual exercise merely, that it's not something, well, I'm going to win a debate with somebody online, but this is something for me to learn and then actually to do. And if we don't do that, if we only come to the word of God with no intention of living it out, then we're actually deceiving ourselves. We're we're, we're tricking ourselves. So let's jump in now, verses 1 through 3 of Psalm 135. We read these words. Praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise him, O you servants of the Lord. You who stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God, Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. So you can see immediately why the the word I want you to think about for Psalm 135 is praise. We see that word, praise, 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 praise. What does the word praise mean? Well, let me give you a definition. Praise is an expression of appreciation and a response to good qualities. It's an expression of appreciation and a response to good qualities. And human beings are natural praisers. We praise things all the time. And I was asked this morning, you know, hey, how was the food on the trip? When immediately I started praising different food. I praised things I never thought I would praise. The fish and chips in Sterling, Scotland. I'm not a fish guy. No offense to all the Filipinos here. I'm sorry. (laughs) About to get mugged after service. Um, but I was like, all right, we're there. Let's have some fish and chips. And it was great. Now, here's the interesting thing. The best fish and chips in Sterling, Scotland, all the restaurants are owned by Italians. <laughs> I don't know why it works this way. So many things you can learn when you go different places. Uh, but what we found there is like, oh, that was so good. And then the Braga, you know, in, in Braga, we, we had some Italian food, and that was awesome. We had so much good food there. And so we praised it. And so that's how it is, right? When we see a beautiful West Texas sunset, we praise that. Oh, that's beautiful. When we see an amazing athletic play, we say, ah, can you believe that? When we hear a beautiful piece of music, we praise that. That's what we do. We naturally praise that which we value. That's what we appreciate. So if you and I are in a place right now where we aren't praising God, 
because he's worthy to be praised. So if we're not praising him, it would be good for us, it would be incumbent upon us to find out what's wrong. Because something is wrong. If we are not praising God right now, something is wrong. Now, something's not wrong with God because God's immutable. That means he can't change. He can't be less than he is. He is absolute perfection. He's absolute goodness. So if I am in a place, if you're in a place where I'm not praising God right now, I'm not appreciating him, then something is wrong. And we need to do something about that. Now, maybe difficult circumstances are suffocating us. Maybe we're being distracted by the things of the world. Maybe we have a distorted view of God. Something might be going on that's causing us to not praise God as we should. But let me just please offer to you today, because it's easy for us to come to church, and as soon as we get near the door, okay, put on a smile, okay, come in, sit down, and act like everything's okay, and then leave unchanged. Please let me encourage you today. If something's going on in your life, you're not in a place where you're praising God, you're not in a place where you see God's goodness, then please don't suffer in silence. Reach out to somebody in this fellowship. Reach out to one of the elders. Reach out to the one of the ministry team leaders. Reach out to someone in this church or to someone outside this church who's a faithful believer to ask for help. You know, one of the best things for me on the trip, as the many best things, many things that I loved, was getting to talk to Pastor Dan and getting to talk to Pastor Brandon. You know, and, and there in Portugal and in Spain with Pastor Brandon, I got to, you know, he drove because the driving in Portugal is a little wild. And so as we drove places, we just got to talk and got to talk about life and kind of talk about things that are maybe disturbing us and things that we need prayer for. That's what we need. So if you're in a bad place today, you're not praising God, things are not going well, everything is dark in your life, then please ask for help. Ask for some, to talk with somebody and so that they can help, you know, redirect you, help encourage you back to praising the Lord. All right, let's look again at verse 3 here. I want to look at the last part of verse 3. Actually, it's all of it. It's a short verse. Um, it says, um, praise the Lord. The Lord is good. Sing praises to his name for it is pleasant. And so the fo- what I want you to focus on there is actually the first half of verse 3 where it says, praise the Lord for the Lord is good. Now, This is something that over the last few months, the Lord has really um, spoken to me about on this actually being the fundamental aspect of a Christian. The fundamental aspect of a believer has to be this. Do I believe God is good? Do I believe God is good? Because every other question that comes after that really doesn't matter if you don't believe God is good. That's where it all starts. Because what does it matter this, that, or the other, if I don't believe that God is good. But if I do believe that God is good, then I can see all the rest of these circumstances through that lens, understanding that it may not be something I like right now, but I know that God is good, so he's working toward a good end. So I'd encourage you, please settle this in your heart. This is fundamental. This must be the bedrock of your faith, that the eternal, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God is good. Because here's the deal. I'm not asking you to believe something that's untrue. I'm asking you, I'm asking me to merely get in line with reality. I mentioned it before, but several years back, there was a, a staff tutor, uh, well, tutor, sorry, a, a staff 
um, student baseball game. And I played in this baseball game. And leading up to the game, man, I had all these kind of dreams of glory. You know, I was like Uncle Rico um, from Napoleon Dynamite. I was ready for my chance. And let me tell you, I played like Uncle Rico. <laughs> it was not good. It was humiliating. For, for several days, kids were making fun of me at school for how badly I had played. You see, what happened, though, what was good about that game is it got me in reality. I thought I was a good baseball player. I was not, and I got to get in reality. God is good whatever you believe about him. That's a reality. But, but if you're not in reality, if you don't believe God is good, then what's happening is you're in a place where you need to be brought into reality with, with him. Now, once you're brought into reality, once you realize that he is good, then all of a sudden, God can start working these things out. These issues, these difficulties, these circumstances that you, you want him to work on are only going to get worked on as you believe he is good. Let me remind you of a verse you've heard many times before, Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Well, the only reason that all these things are working together for good by God is because God is good. Since God is good, it's his desire to work all things together for the good. I don't know about you, but I love happy endings in books. I love happy endings in movies. Why do I love that? Because actually that's what God loves. God's put that in your heart. The fact that you watch a movie and it has a terrible ending that's unresolved, the reason that bothers you is because God has put in your heart that he has created this world to have a happy ending. That he's created you to desire a happy ending. He's, he's created in you a desire to be with him for always. And, and so that, that's what we want to get our minds around because you and I, in the, in, the, in the power of the Spirit, can do anything that God calls us to do if we will believe that he is good. Let's move on to verse 4. It says, For the, the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself, Israel for his special treasure. And so if you're familiar, you know, you, uh, go back and, and read the book of Genesis if you're, if you're kind of hazy on this. God created the nation of Israel. God called Abraham, gave him supernaturally this son through his, his wife who had already passed the time of childbearing and gave him Isaac. And then there was Abraham, so then Isaac and then Jacob and then the 12 sons of Jacob. And, and so God created the nation of Israel for his own special purpose. But please hear me, God has created you for his own special purpose. God has created you for his own special purpose. And let me give you a verse that proves this. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. It says, for we, believers, are his workmanship, God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so that's an incredible thing. And I would, I would encourage you to memorize that verse. I would encourage you to meditate on that verse. I would encourage you to think that you have been specially created by God and that God, before you were even created, has set aside special good works for you to walk in so that you can be fulfilled, so that you can do what, he's, what he wants you to do, so that you can find your calling in life, all of those things. Now, please understand, though, at the same time, this world right, is under the sway of the evil one, that this world is tainted by sin. And so this world at every turn wants to discourage you. The world, the flesh, and the devil want to break you down and saying you're unimportant and you're meaningless and your life doesn't matter and all these things, those are all lies. Because God is good 
and he has special works for you. Now, what, another thing that's so important about Ephesians 2.10 is that the way indirect that we're talking about is to just do what God has called you to do. You see, when you walk out those good works that God has called you to, then you can have peace in him, but you don't have to see the results. You don't have to know. You know, every time I come to teach the Bible on a Sunday morning, which is one of my favorite things in life to do, is to teach the Bible, I realized that if you chose to, you can come and sit here and never do anything that I ask you to do. I understand that. That's your choice. I can't make you do anything. But you see, my calling isn't to make you do something. My calling is actually to share the truth in a way that honors God. And then I've done what Ephesians 2.10 says. And that's so great because you can have that freedom. You can have freedom to say, I'm just going to do what God called me to do. I'm not going to worry about results. I'm not going to worry about these things. I'm just going to do it. And what's going to happen is it's going to bring encouragement to your life. And here's the ironic thing about how God works. As you just do what you're called to do, he works out these other things. Isn't it, God's always indirect in how he, or not always, can't put him in a box, but he's often indirect in how he works. He says, you want to be great? Hey, why don't you be the least? You want to be the master of all? Be the servant of all. You want to gain your life? Lose it for my sake. He's always about this, this indirect way of doing things, and if we would just humble ourselves, submit to him, and say, I'm just going to do things your way, then we're going to start finding that these things change in our lives. Let's go to verse 5 now. It says, For I know that the Lord is great, and our Lord is above all gods. So God is great. He's above all gods. What does that mean here? This is really these, this gods here, it's all so-called gods. He's above all idols. He's above all false gods. He's above all demonic entities. We want to remind ourselves that the Lord Jesus is, as the book of Revelation says, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Please remember that. Okay. There, there's, um, you know, before we went to London, you know, people here that were going to London, uh, I've watched videos of what happens in London. Now, now, is there a lot of crime in London? Sure. Is there a lot of violence in London? Absolutely. We didn't see any of that. Like the Lord's hand was upon us and the places where we went, the, God was very gracious to us. And so what happens is we can kind of get our mind and all the bad news of this world and live lives of fear and forget that God is the King of kings, and he's the Lord of lords. And, and so that we want to remind ourselves of these truths so that we can walk in our calling, not stay somewhere behind clo closed doors afraid all the time. Verse 6, whatever the, Lord, whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and in earth, in the seas and in all the deep places. So this is really speaking of about God's sovereignty. God does whatever he pleases. Now, there's a common trope among Christians that says, I don't want to say to God, God, whatever you want to do in my life, do it, because he's going to send me to the deepest, darkest jungles of Africa to be a missionary. That's kind of the attitude. But what is that attitude saying? It's saying God isn't good. That if I surrender to God, he's going to give me something, going to send me somewhere that I would hate. That's not how God works. And so what we want to understand here is that when it says that God does whatever he pleases, well, what kind of things does he please? Well, that pleases, it means he does whatever it's his nature to do. So God does whatever it's in his nature to do. What kind of nature does God have? He has a good nature. So God always does what's good. 
So if you completely surrender your life to the Lord day after day, you get up in the morning and saying, Lord, whatever you have for me, that I'll do. I want to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to me. I added to you. Do you think God will say, well, now I finally got him where I want him. Man, I've been waiting to pummel this person who wants to serve me. I've been wanting to drag them through the mud because they want to do what's on my heart to do. Think about it. Think about if you, as a parent, your child came in the morning and said, you know what, I, I just really want to work alongside you. I want to do whatever it is you want me to do. I want to grow in maturity. I, I want, you don't say, would you say, well, you know what, great, I'm going to give you the worst possible job in the worst possible way. You wouldn't do that. And so if we, being evil, know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more does God give? And so it's really, really important. This will change our whole mindset if we believe, well, God does whatever he pleases and he's good so I can trust him in what he does and everywhere that he goes. So, all right, let's move on to verses seven through 12. So it says, he causes the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain. He brings the wind out of his treasuries. He destroyed the firstborn of Egypt, both man and beast. He sent signs and wonders in the midst of you, O Egypt, upon Pharaoh and all his servants. He defeated many nations and slew mighty kings, Sihon, king of the Amorites, Og, king of Bashan, and all the kingdoms of Canaan, and gave their land as a heritage, a heritage to Israel, his people. So this is a reminder that God sovereignly brought the Israelites out of Egypt and brought them into the promised land. Now, if, I would encourage you to, to go back sometime and reread the book of Exodus, just to remind yourselves of this, because so often throughout the scriptures, the deliverance from Egypt is referred to. And so if it's referred to that often, it must have been of great import, and so it's, it's important for us to remind ourselves of that. So, so God did that, and, and so we can look at that and say, well, that's wonderful, and God took the Israelites out of Egypt, and that's awesome, and he brought them into the promised land, and that's awesome, but what does it have to do with me? What it has to do with you is it shows you the character and nature of God, that when God sovereignly decides to deliver somebody, he can deliver them. When God sovereignly decides to bring a person into the place where he wants them to dwell, he can do that. And so he's already done it in your life. If you've been a believer for any amount of time, God has already brought you through trials and troubles. And if you don't believe me, go home today and just think about it. And think about even how as an unbeliever, God rescued you out of trials and troubles. How he did that. And then also realize, okay, if God is good and he delivered me out of the past, things in the past, and he's promised to deliver me to heaven in the future, he's promised to prepare a place for me, he's promised that where he is, I will be also, well, that brings great encouragement to us. Because it says God has delivered me in the past and he will deliver me to heaven when the timing is right. And that brings great encouragement. Because if you know that your life in the ultimate sense has a happy ending, you can walk in confidence. I, I've used it multiple times. I'm going to use it again. I know at the end of the Lord of the Rings, the ring is going to Mordor. Sorry for spoiling it. Um, I, I know that it's going to be melted. I know that Aragorn, Aragorn is going to be king. I know all those things. So if all the trials and tribulations along the way, I know that as difficult it is for those characters, I know how it's going to end. Please understand, you are a character in God's great story. I hate to break it to you, we're not the main character. <laughs> 
Jesus is the main character, but we still have parts to play, and he said it's going to be a good end. That when we get to it, these light afflictions, which are but for a moment, are going to not be worthy to be compared with that eternal weight of glory. And so that should bring great encouragement to us as we remember that God has delivered us in the past and he will deliver us in the future. Verse 13 says, your name, O Lord, endures forever. Your fame, O Lord, throughout all generations. How can God's name endure forever? Because he is forever. God is forever. And if we want to live lives that count eternally, if we want to live lives that matter for always, then we should participate in the work that he is doing. Because if he's forever and his work stands forever, then let me, let you do what he wants us to do. And then what we're going to see is we're part of an eternal thing. We're part of an eternal glory. We're part of an eternal work, something that is forever. Verse 14 This line is actually originally taken from Deuteronomy 32, verse 36, which was a song of Moses. And we read, For the Lord will judge his people, and he will have compassion on his servants. Now, that word judge there, I don't think is a a great translation. I want to read for you from the ESV. The ESV renders verse 14 this way, For the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants. The Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants. What does that word vindicate mean? It means to clear of accusation, blame, suspicion, or doubt. That's what the Lord will do with his people. And so please hear me, because you may be in a situation today where people are misrepresenting you. People are falsely accusing you. People are doing different things. And and so I want to encourage you that God's going to work it out in the end. Though you may be misjudged, though you may be falsely accused, the Lord knows the truth. I was talking earlier with one of the guys here at the church, you know, this, this online uh, Christian personality, and, and he just, I think he does things really well, but he has a bunch of haters online. It doesn't matter how well he does things, people hate him. People speak bad about him. People falsely accuse him. Well, we understand that that's going to be that way because think about Jesus. Jesus never did anything wrong, and yet he's one of the most hated people in human history. And so we have to understand that that's going to happen, that if we live the Christian life according to the the power and working of the Holy Spirit, people are going to come against us. People are going to misrepresent us, but we have to trust the Lord Jesus in that. And so I want to read for you from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23. Peter tells us in the midst of these difficulties to follow Jesus' example. 1 Peter 2, verse 23 says about Jesus, when Jesus was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. I want to encourage you today. When people come against you and falsely accuse you and all these kind of things, is not to revile in return. When they, they mock you, is not to mock in return. But instead, to trust in the God who vindicates you. To trust that, that God's going to work it out. That, that he is your defense attorney. That he is the one who's going to, in the end, show it to be true. Because think about it. If all kinds of people speak badly about you, but you know that that's not true, and that God knows it's not true, then what does it matter? If God knows it's not true, if God knows your character, if God knows your heart, if God loves you, if God has a plan for you, then who cares what people say? Trust God. Trust him, praise him, thank him, and then he can take care of that issue when he wants to take care of it. Now, we can have this sort of attitude toward difficulty, toward misrepresentation, if we believe that God is good and that God's sovereign. 
that God's good and that God is sovereign. He'll take care of it in his timing. All right, let's look at verses 15 through 18 here. It says, The idols of the nations are silver and gold and the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes they have, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Nor is there any breath in their mouths. Those who make them are like them, so is everyone who trusts in them. And and so this is just another one of the scriptures that talks about the futility of idolatry. That idols are nothing. That that to make, to shape an object of stone or wood or whatever and to worship it is pointless. There's nothing to it. And so this is a reminder, though, as we, we would probably be way too sophisticated to worship like some kind of stone or wooden image. But we're not too sophisticated to, you know, worship the rectangle in our pocket, right? We're, we're not too sophisticated to maybe to worship the thing that sits in our driveway. We're not too sophisticated. So it was a reminder for all of us to beware of idolatry, to beware of trusting in a thing instead of trusting in God alone, to put our hope in a thing instead of putting our hope in God alone. Now, the, the phone in your pocket can be used to help you to glorify God. Absolutely. The vehicle in your driveway can be used to help you to to glorify God and serve his purposes and do those things. But we have to be careful of moving from hoping in God to hoping in stuff. And so this this is an encouragement for, for us to remind ourselves to not put our hope in any created thing. Let's look now at verses 19 through 21. It says, Bless the Lord, O house of Israel. Bless the Lord, O house of Aaron. Bless the Lord, O house of Levi. You who fear the Lord, bless the Lord. Blessed be the Lord out of Zion, who dwells in Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Okay, so, so it's, again, it's directed toward uh, the, you know, the priests and the Levites and kind of this encouragement, this exhortation for them to praise the Lord. But the, the application I want to take from it for you and for me is it's always good to praise the Lord. Always a good time to praise the Lord. Praise is not something that we do for a few songs at the beginning of a church service, right? That's a way to praise the Lord, but also we can praise the Lord through teaching the word of God. We can praise the Lord by um, driving, you know, in a reasonable way. Uh, We can praise the Lord by any number of things, and it's always good to do that. And as we make that our focus, as we make our focus praising the Lord, then these other issues in our life will start to get sorted because we're putting him first right? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And so I want to give you an encouragement, too, as you look at verses 19 through 21, and I don't want to diminish uh, or to discount whatever difficulty you're going through. Because very easy for me, you know, and my family having gotten off this, like, very encouraging trip and this exciting time, and, and to come back and to just jump in here, and for you to be saying, well, Steve, you don't know what's going on. You don't understand what I'm going through. And, and you're right, I don't know. I don't understand, okay, but, but God does. God knows, God understands, and the encouragement I want to give to you, no matter how dark things might be for you, is I want you to, to go home today and to reread the last two chapters of the Bible because that's your future. If you're a believer, then Revelation 21 and 22 are your future. That's what you have to look forward to. So you may have to walk long through the valley of the shadow of death before you get there, but that's what's coming in your life. That's what's coming in my life. And so if we can kind of continually come back to those two verses, that's going to encourage us to to keep fighting the good fight of faith. Because if you believe those last two chapters of the Bible to be true, 
then you will always have a reason to praise the Lord because you know that day is coming. All right, let's quickly move through Psalm 136 here. We're going to look at the, the focus of this one is thanks. Notice verse 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Okay, so we're to give thanks to God because he's good. And he's always doing what is good. So it's always a good time to thank God because God is always good and he's always up to something good. No matter how it looks, no matter how it feels, no matter how dark the day might be today, even in the midst of that, God is still working something good, okay? And, and so, so God doesn't have our plans of doing things. He has these indirect ways of working things. We often can't see the end at the beginning, but he's got a good end in mind. And, and so I, I want to also look here in verse 1. It's going to be this common refrain. We're going to see it 26 times, but it's this phrase, for his mercy endures forever, so we can always give thanks because God's mercy endures forever. That word mercy in the Hebrew, it actually means faithful loving kindness. God's faithful loving kindness lasts forever. So when you wake up tomorrow and you've had a bad night and maybe you've said some things you shouldn't have said or done some things you shouldn't have done and you wonder, I wonder if God's faithful loving kindness is today. You can come back to this verse and says, for his mercy, his love, faithful loving kindness endures forever. And you can say, oh, it's good today. When, when you blow it, you can come back to this verse and say, is his, is his mercy still enduring? Well, yes, because it endures forever. And when you come to the end of your life, and maybe all your physical strength is gone from your body, and you wonder in this moment, is his mercy still good? It is, because it endures forever. So if we can believe this, if we can take this to heart, then what will happen? It will change how we live our lives because we change how we live our lives is a fruit of what we believe. It says in the scriptures, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And so if you and I believe that God is good and that his mercy endures forever, then what will happen is we'll live lives going toward that. We'll live lives saying, God is good. God's going to work this out. God is doing something in the midst of this. I can't see it right now, but that's what he's doing. And it'll change us, but then what happens as God works indirectly, it'll start to change those around us. It'll start giving hope to those around us as well. So all 26 verses in this way, for his mercy endures forever. So I'd encourage you, please bookend your days with this truth. When you get up, remind yourself that God's mercy endures forever. When you lie down at night, remind yourself that his mercy endures forever because it's always a wonderful reason for giving thanks. When God's mercy endures forever, when you believe that, you can always give thanks. All right, let's look at verses two and three here. It says, oh, give thanks to the God of gods for his mercy endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords for his mercy endures forever. And so we give thanks to God because he's the one true God. And, and please hear me, God is the one who's been ultimately responsible for every good thing you've ever received. Every good thing you've ever received. When, when, when you were in elementary school and you got that toy that you wanted, God was ultimately the one behind the scenes. So every good thing you have ever received, every wonderful relationship, every kiss from your spouse, everything like that, God has been behind the scenes. And so as you understand that, man, that, that gives you encouragement. Every good thing that we've experienced is from him. And, and, and though I did not see God face to face on the trip to Europe, 
places we went, everything, it was clear to me that he was there just out of view. It was clear to, clear to me that all his good we experienced and all that God did in, in our lives as a family and is doing in other people's lives and the things we got to experience, that it was, it was his goodness that we got to experience that. And so I'd encourage you to realize that every good thing you've ever received has been a, a gift that comes down from the Father of lights. Verses four through nine, to him who alone does great wonders for his mercy endures forever. To him who by wisdom made the heavens for his mercy endures forever. To him who laid out the earth above the waters for his mercy endures forever. To him who made great lights for his mercy endures forever. The sun to rule by day for his mercy endures forever. The moon and stars to rule by night for his mercy endures forever. And, and so w- another reason for us to give thanks is to give thanks to God for his creation. That he made everything. Now this is a really important point that's often missed, but it's, it's, it's a biblical truth. That if people reject God as creator, they will become unthankful. It's very interesting. If a person rejects God as creator, they will become unthankful. Let me, let me turn you, have you turn somewhere. I think this is the first time the, this whole uh, teaching, this is very unusual for me. Uh, Romans chapter 1. Let's turn to Romans chapter 1 for just a moment. We'll look at verses 18 through 21. If you wonder why there is so much thanklessness in this world, if you wonder why things are so dark and depressing, it's because this world by and large has rejected God as their creator. And so once you do that, once a person rejects God as their creator, they will become unthankful because there's no one to thank. Romans 1, let's look at verses 18 through 21. says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them For God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Okay, so we don't have a lot of time to go into this, but very quickly... Paul's basically saying the whole world knows that there's a creator God. Everybody knows that. It's revealed to them. Since they're creations of God, it's kind of, it's in the DNA. But as soon as they reject that, as soon as they push down the truth and unrighteousness, as soon as they say, I don't want a God ruling over me, I'm just going to push that down, then what happens is they begin to stray and they become unthankful. And it's wild because as you continue on, you can read it on your own. The rest of Romans chapter one, it gets very dark. It gets disgusting. It gets horrible. But every one of those bad things in the rest of the, you know, from verses, you know, 22 to 32, it's all a result of rejecting God as their creator. It's all a, re- a, a result of being unthankful toward their creator. So maybe that you and I have a lot of issues in our life that are simply the result of we're unthankful people. That, that though we acknowledge God as our creator theologically, we don't acknowledge him as creator from our heart. And because of that, then stuff comes in our life and we don't believe that he's good. And so we're just unthankful, complaining, miserable, dark people. Here's the, here's the, the remedy though, it's quick. Just recognize God as your creator. Recognize that he's good. 
Begin to be thankful for him. In the midst of difficulty, say, Lord, I thank you that you're going to work something good out of this. As we do that, things begin to change. Our lives begin to change. So please understand, the wickedness that we see in this world is the direct result of the rejection of God as their creator. If everybody got up tomorrow morning and said, oh yeah, God is our creator. Let's start serving him. The world would be unrecognizable. You, you no longer have to lock your doors. You never longer have to do those things. But as long as man rejects God, we're going to have the miserable state of affairs that we have. Let's turn back now, if you would, to Psalm 136. We're going to take a big chunk here, verses 10 through 22. It says, To him who struck Egypt and their firstborn, for his mercy endures forever, and brought out Israel from among them, for his mercy endures forever, with a strong hand and with an outstretched arm, for his mercy endures forever, to him who divided the Red Sea in two, for his mercy endures forever, and made Israel pass through the midst of it, for his mercy endures forever. But overthrew Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea, for his mercy endures forever. To him who led his people through the wilderness, for his mercy endures forever. To him who struck down the great, great kings, for his mercy endures forever. And slew famous kings, for his mercy endures forever. Sihon, king of the Amorites, for his mercy endures forever. And Og, king of Bashan, for his mercy endures forever. And gave their land as a heritage, for his mercy endures forever. A heritage to Israel, his servant, for his mercy endures forever. So again, there's a, remember, a, a reminder that God delivered the people out of Egypt and he gave them entrance to, to the promised land. Again, the application for us, we can thank God because he's delivered us in the past. He continues to deliver us. And the one day is he's going to give us interest into the ultimate promised land. It's heaven with him. Verse 23, who remembered us in our lowly state for his mercy endures forever. And I love that. that, that God, he's great, but his greatness has a lowliness to it. And what I mean by that is God will get down, however low you are, God's willing to get down there with you. That, that, that God is willing to go the lowliest place, and we know that's true because of the incarnation. How, how much lower can it be for, for God to take on humanity, to be born in a stable, to, to have to eat and drink and sleep, and may I say it, have to go to the bathroom. For, for God to take that on, to go to that lowly state, then please understand that no matter how low your state is today, God remembers you in that lowly state. He'll be with you in that lowly state, and he's willing to walk with you through it until the day comes when he takes you to that ultimate state with him. Verse 24 and rescued us from our enemies, for his mercy endures forever. So God, again, continually delivers us. Verse 25, who gives food to all flesh, for his mercy endures forever. God is our provider. He's provided it for us uh, our entire lives, and he'll continue to provide for us. And then finally, verse 26, oh, give thanks to the God of heaven, for his mercy endures forever. And, and so, so give thanks to him. Just give thanks. You know, it's, it's amazing that if you'll do that, if you and I will get aside with the Lord, get away from everybody else and say, Lord, I just want to thank you for what you're doing. I want to thank you for my life. I, I want to thank you that, that Steve stopped before noon. I want to thank you for all of these things. You know, as you thank the Lord for, then what's going to happen is your heart will be changed because all the sun will start flooding in all the things you have to be thankful for. And as your heart is changed, then you have something to offer those around you. And then their hearts can be changed as well. 
And so we can thank God because you and I will get to praise him forever in heaven, and that's going to be an amazing thing. Now, as we draw this study to a close and move into our time of communion, there are a couple things I want to share with you in conclusion. And the first is a quote by C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis wrote this, God will not be used as a convenience. Men or nations who think that they can revive faith in order to make a good society might just as well think they can use the stairs of heaven as a shortcut to the nearest pharmacy. <laughs> I love that, and the, the context is screw tape letters, and I would encourage you to read that book, and I'd love to talk with you if you do. But it's this idea, God is not going to be used as a means to an end for us. Okay, God does not exist to solve our problems. God doesn't exist for, for us to kind of get this thing worked out or get this thing changed around or, you know, to get this little bit better situation at work. That's not why God exists. Okay, God's self-existent, and so we have to understand, well, well not why does God exist, but why do I exist? Well, I exist to know and love God, to, to enjoy relationship with Him, to praise Him, to glorify Him forever. So now the problems in my life, the difficulties in my life are not something for God to get fixed, but instead are something for me to learn through how to depend on him more, how to trust him more, how to praise him in the midst of it, how to thank him in the midst of it. So, so God is not some spiritual mechanic that, you know, we can just take ourselves into the shop and he'll fix what ails us and then we can go back out and do whatever we want. That's not how God works. Instead, God is our father and he's, the things he's allowing in our lives, he's allowing actually for our good and for his glory. And so as we give those things over to him, as we uh, participate in the way indirect, as we seek to say, I'm going to praise you, I'm going to thank you, I'm going to seek first your kingdom, and I'm going to trust you to work these things out as you see fit, then what's going to happen is we're going to start seeking God for his sake. And when you and I seek God for his sake, and we don't seek him for our sake, everything changes. When it's about, I want to spend time with you because you're my greatest desire, because you're my heart, because you actually, for some unknown reason, want to spend time with me, you want to walk with me, you, you sent your son to die for me, you want to be with me forever, I don't understand it. A lot of times, I don't even want to be with me. But when we can kind of come to that place and say, well, that's what God wants, then everything starts to shift. If our lives are not about God fixing what ails us, but instead about us surrendering ourselves, giving ourselves over to him, then he can fix whatever he needs to fix in his timing. And so um, if, if I begin to, if you and I begin to obey him because that's what he wants, because that's what glorifies him, because that's what he enjoys, if we put him first, if we say, I'm going to follow the first commandment, the greatest commandment, to love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, then our lives will change. And I believe that if we're all honest, that's what we really want. We don't want to stay the same. We don't want the maturity level that we have today. We want to grow in Christ-likeness. We want to know more of God. We want to have closer relationship with our friends and our family. Well, all those things are possible if God is first, if, if he is the one that we praise and that we thank. Let's pray.